Welcome to our exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for Friday, June 26th. Each week, we check in with a leader across the firm to get a quick take on what they're watching in the markets. I'm Jake Siebert, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm, and today's guest is Amelia Garnett, a frequent visitor, um, and she's from our cross-asset sales desk in the Global Markets Division. Welcome back, Amelia. Thanks so much. It's actually amazing to think that last time I was on here, it was the week before we started work from home. Well, it has been a while. So what are the top stories in the markets that you're watching this week? Yeah, so I think there are probably three things that are top of mind with our cross-asset clients this week. In the near term, month-end and quarter-end falls next Tuesday. And that has implications, particularly for pension funds who rebalance their equity to bond allocations and their global exposures. And just given the epic run-up of equities this quarter, you know, the S&P was up 18%, the NASDAQ was up a whopping 29%. It's the equity number that we're really focused on. So Goldman estimates that there could be up to $57 billion of equities for pensions to sell to buy their bonds as of Thursday. And whilst this number is widely televised as being large, it is you know, historically very relevant because it is the largest net sell signal we've seen on record. I think you know, beyond month end, the really big question though we're having discussions with our clients about is, will the recovery be derailed? And by that, I mean, you know, we're seeing these rising COVID case counts and higher hospitalization rates. And in some areas, the hospitalization rates are pretty concerning. And so is that enough to stunt the enthusiasm around reopening and curtail the rally we've seen in equity prices? Or is the sheer size and scope of the fiscal and economic packages we've seen delivered by central banks and governments around the world enough to encourage consumers to spend, as we saw in the retail sales data last week, and for companies to rehire, as we saw some early signs of in the May employment report, without necessarily having a vaccine. And I think that the third thing we're focused on is kind of closer to my world, which is a lot of discussion around the outlook for the US dollar. So the US dollar index is about 5% off its March highs. And we're having discussions around whether the dollar is in the early stages of a more material and long lasting downtrend that could potentially be as large as 20 to 30% over the next few years. Let's dive a little deeper there. You've spent a lot of time in your career looking at currency markets. How are clients thinking about the outlook for the U.S. dollar and how are they positioning themselves given the potential for uh, for the strength of the U.S. dollar to sort of fade over time? Yeah, sure. So I think we are genuinely at an interesting juncture for the dollar. And I actually think it would be really interesting for our listeners to hear because you, we've all got quite used to the idea of the dollar appreciating as it has done since 2008. So perhaps I'll just give a bit of context on where we've been to kind of explain the potential path forward. So since 2008, the US has experienced about $8.5 trillion of inflows from foreign investors. And that trend really picked up in 2011. And part of that was driven by a search for higher returns in the form of carry, so higher relative bond yields in the US relative to essentially zero yields or negative yields in Japan and Europe worked in favor of the US, and then higher growth differentials and higher expected equity returns also favored the US. And then you have the classic safe haven inflows into the US. So all of those combined drove us to a point where the dollar got to about 20% overvalued relative to our fair value metrics 
as of around February of this year. And so then COVID hits and the Fed cuts rates aggressively to zero, which negated the positive carry that we had typically been seeing in US bonds. And the Fed has also signaled that they won't raise interest rates until inflation gets back to their 2% target, which is having the effect of driving real rates in the US into negative territory. And in my world in FX, real rate differentials is super important in determining the direction of currencies. And so, you know, if you think about where you allocate your capital, if you're getting negative yields in the US, you're more inclined to move them out of the US. And so, you know, to wrap up the summary, negative real yields in the US, which are likely to go more negative because the Fed wants to encourage inflation and keep rates low, combined with a market that's structurally overweight dollar-denominated assets following years of inflows, and then the rise of some US-centric risks, you know, whether that's in the form of the US's ability to deal with the spread of COVID, or concerns around US politics and the impact of a potential democratic sweep on US equity prices, all of these could lead to a dollar decline. Well, there's always talk about alternatives to the dollar, but they never seem to materialize in any big way. How are clients thinking about alternatives to the dollar today? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, you know, frankly, that's what's prevented a material sell-off thus far. You know, what do you go long when rates are low and growth is challenged everywhere? We at GS are more positive on Europe. So we think that there has been substantial progress in the area-wide risk sharing. And we think that Europe made early and aggressive containment measures that are now allowing them to open up their economy. And so we do expect European growth to rebound quicker than that in the US. And so, you know, how are clients playing that? Macro hedge funds and asset managers believe in this view as well. And we've seen them buying options to position for euro appreciation on a six-month basis through call spreads, outright calls, and euro binary calls. And we see it in the CFTC data as well, which is one metric we use in the FX world to monitor flow of funds and positioning data amongst investors. And what we've seen is that investors haven't been this long of euros since mid-2018. I think gold is also another alternative to play the short dollar theme. You know, typically gold does well in an environment of negative real rates, as I've explained, and a weaker dollar. So certainly we've seen interest from clients to buy gold. And actually, GIR moved their forecast higher last week. So we're targeting 1,800, 1,900, and 2,000 in three, six, and 12 months' time versus the current 1760 level. And then, you know, back to the comment about the decline in US yields making the dollar less attractive, clients that are more bullish on the cyclical outlook have also been more constructive on emerging market currencies that both screen cheap from a valuation perspective in the aftermath of COVID but also offer high relative carry because their central banks haven't cut rates as aggressively as the US and other EM countries. So countries that would fall into that category are the Mexican peso or the Russian ruble. And we've seen interest from clients to go along both of those versus a short dollar view. Okay, so the euro, gold, peso, what are some of the risks to those investments and where could that investment hypothesis go wrong? Yeah, so I think, you know, many people have tried to call the turn in the dollar and many have been too early or just wrong. This outlook is highly contingent on a robust widespread recovery. And I just think at this point, the outlook is still just very uncertain. And whilst our economists are bullish about momentum and our ability to bounce back, it's still a lot of unknowns. So I think if activity fails to return quickly, 
if the next stage of the fiscal stimulus doesn't get approved in the US, if people are concerned about COVID, even if the policies don't restrict them from you know, normalizing their lives, the dollar will maintain its status as the reserve currency of choice and will inevitably experience inflows. All right. So looking ahead, we don't look ahead too far these days, but but looking ahead, what's a piece of economic news or data that's on your radar screen? Yeah, sure. So I've been looking at the US election and we've certainly seen a pickup in, in client conversations in the last few weeks around this. So we're four months out and you know there's some debate around how much we should place weight on the national polls. But you know, if you look at the New York Times poll this week, Vice President Biden is now 14 points ahead of President Trump, and it looks like Trump is losing demographics he needs, including young and white voters. And so as more seats that were previously considered safe in the Senate are now considered to be swing states, I think this is the outcome that financial markets should probably care about, because a Biden victory and a Democratic clean sweep actually could lead to some impactful economic policy. Just to kind of flesh out the view there, our DC economists think that could lead to more fiscal stimulus, but importantly, it could see the Democrats raise the corporate tax rate. And that is a subject that our US portfolio strategists have done a lot of work on. They believe that if that were to materialize, it could shave off about 12% of next year's S&P earnings, which would certainly be damaging for equity performance. All right. Well, the election's still a long ways away and, and the prognosticators have been wrong before. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out. So is there anything you're looking forward to about getting back to the office one of these days? I mean, there are definitely a lot of things. The trading floor is a unique place and the energy that we experience there day in, day out, the mentorship, the collaboration, the idea sharing, you know, it is just hard to replicate in isolation. So I'm very excited to see my colleagues when we can all return to normal. All right. Well, I'm in the office today and I have to say it's not that exciting because there's no one around, but look forward to seeing you again soon, Amelia. Thanks so much for having me. That's all for this week's Markets Update on exchanges at Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out our other episode this week with Tim and Gracia of our investment banking division. He and I talked about how the COVID-19 crisis has had an influence on companies' M&A strategies. Thanks for listening and hope everyone has a great and safe weekend. This podcast was recorded on Thursday, June 25th in the year 2020. Thank you. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.